0: Uh, Let me pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this time with my family here. What a privilege it is to be among shepherds. Thank you for rooms like this. Thank you for rooms like this where there's a special regard for pastors. Lord, we do count it a tremendous privilege to be pastors pray in any way that it is if that's waned uh, that you would revive just our sincere humble joyful happy ownership of the fact that we get to be pastors before we were pastors you 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 gave us eyes to see it as a noble task made us want to devote time and life to it And I pray, Lord, you would sustain that that joy and that esteem of the pastorate and help us to be men who live worthy of you. Thank you for the wives who are here. Encourage them. Encourage them, Lord. We ask that you would sanctify us in the truth, Lord. Your word is truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. None of that counted in my time. Acts chapter 20. I was asked to speak on Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Perhaps my most f- favorite passage to turn to in shepherding, everybody has a text they go to, and this is one that I go to and think on, and it's helped me for, for years, and I pray it encourages you uh, as we sin under God's word. <clears throat> Acts 20, verse 28, this is the best part of the sermon. <clears throat> Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Saints, this is God's word. Thanks be be to God. Um. Pastoral ministry is something that pastors should always be talking about to each other, instructing each other in. Um, encouragement and instruction and correction about pastoral ministry is something pastors need to regularly hear. It's not just something people intending to go pastor need to hear, but it's something that pastors who are pastoring need to hear. We know that that's true because in our text, this is a pastor telling pastors who are pastoring about pastoring, right? He is telling, he gathers the elders uh, from Ephesus in Miletus, and he is instructing them on what it means to pastor. So this isn't just for aspiring pastors for what they ought to aspire to, but this is for those pastoring now and the kinds of pastoring we must do. It's, uh, you know, we, we get, these are, this is, this is similar to, you uh, Jesus, in his final words, what he was giving to disciples and just the weight that that's to have and shaping their Christianity. Well, this is something similar Paul is doing um, is he's not going to see them again. And he's kind of giving his final words uh, about shepherding to them. And God's preserved this instruction for our encouragement. Again, Paul, on his way to Jerusalem, while he's in Miletus, he gets the elders together, and he calls the pastors, charges them to pastor this kind of way. He says, brothers, pay careful attention to yourselves, And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I have two points, and that is pay careful attention to yourself. Point number two is pay careful attention to all the flock. Pay careful attention to yourself. Pay careful attention to all the flock. Uh, We see clearly from our verse at least two areas of focus for our attention, ourselves, And the flock, or our flock, or we might just say, pay careful attention to all the flock, not forgetting that pastors too are part of the flock. So before we are shepherds, we are sheep, always will be a sheep. You do not categorically become a different creature because you are a pastor, you are just a shepherd sheep. Though pastors are over the flock, as the word says, they are not superior to the flock. They are a part of the flock. Elders don't lead from above. They lead from among. Their oversight includes themselves. So Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and careful attention to all the flock. Fascinating that he starts with pay careful attention to yourselves. Why would this be needed? Well, as is true for sheep, it's true for shepherds, and that is that sheep stray. Pastors stray. Some ministers stray in their preaching. Not all men who start out well continue well. Not all ministers who start right, end right. Now, all men who start with the gospel, stay with the gospel. Now, all who have the gospel as a first importance, keep it as a first importance. Later in this chapter, in verse 30, Paul will tell them, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Some men swerve from the stewardship from God that depends on faith, and they make, shipwreck, they make shipwreck of their faith, and they lead others to make shipwreck as well. Hymenaeus and Philetus are such men who swerve from the truth, and rather than building up the, the faith of the flock, we're told they upset the faith of some. Some ministers stray in their preaching. Some ministers stray in their pride. There's a podcast about it if you want to hear a little bit more. Pretty popular, but we don't need the podcast. If we went around the room and we passed the mic, we'd all know stories of men who got caught up in themselves. When men become over others, they may see themselves as better than others, or maybe because they're examples to the flock, they think they're more holy than others, only to end up growing more proud than others and end up in ruin. It's a dangerous thing, and you know this, to have to teach the people of God how to serve him. It's a very challenging thing to do. We get why Jesus did it. Hold on my side. (laughs) Uh, We get why Jesus did it. He's God. The perplexing thing is he's entrusted that stewardship to fallen men. He was a faithful man. We seek to be faithful men, but even the most faithful of us kind of men are not as faithful as that faithful man. We all preach above how we live. We should preach above how we live. And that's a dangerous thing to do because you might forget it's above how you live. Paul told Timothy that this is a particular danger for the newly saved men in eldership, right? That's why a qualification is, it shouldn't be newly converted people serving as elders. He says he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Though those recently converted are more susceptible to this sin, they are not the only group susceptible to this sin. Where there is any pride, there is, are the seeds for every sin. Elders are capable of straying into and committing gross sins. You brothers are capable of straying and committing gross, heinous, serious, life ruining, marriage ruining, children ruining, church ruining sin. Me too. And perhaps we're even more so able to stray that way because of our position. You start thinking, man, God picked me to be an elder because I'm I'm a better Christian than others. Or all the disappointment, disrespectful stuff that Ed was just listening out, that can actually produce a arrogance. I would never do that. I don't do that. You start thinking you're above doing that or being that. and That's pride. And so we shouldn't be shocked that God calls elders to watch themselves, take care. That's to guard, to beware of. And though those dangers are out there, God wants his shepherds to endure. He wants, just as he loved his sheep to the end, he wants his shepherds to love his sheep enduringly, and he wants us to be steadfast. God calls us to be faithful, and he helps us. He helps us in many ways, and one way he helps us is by charging us, warning us. He says, watch yourself. Pay careful attention to yourself. Do not trust yourself. Is it not a temptation for a pastor to immediately think of others first? How are they doing? How are they enjoying the Lord? How are they dealing with their sin? How are they being faithful and pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus? You experience this as a married couple if you have kids. You go on date nights and like all your combos can just bend towards the kids. How are they doing? How, how's he doing at school? And it'd be like a couple years, you be like, who are you? Uh, How are you doing? How am I doing? Interestingly, Paul starts with the pastors first. The first stop of the pastoral watch is on the pastors. You first keep a close watch on yourself. How are you doing? How are you enjoying the Lord? How are you dealing with your sin? How are you in faithfulness and reading God's word regularly? How are you doing in a personal time of prayer. Interestingly, again, that's where Paul starts. Uh, Robert Murray McChain writes, do not forget the culture of the inner man, I mean of the heart, how diligently the Calvary officer keeps his saber clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest care. Remember, you are God's sword, his instrument I trust, a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. In great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument will be the success. It is not great talents, God blesses, so much as likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. My, my goal every week is not only to serve other people's joy in Jesus. It is not first to serve other people's joy in Jesus, but to enjoy Jesus myself. It's to be satisfied in the morning with his steadfast love so that I might rejoice and be glad all my days. It is to strive after holiness myself, knowing that without holiness, I, Brian Davis, will not see the Lord. It doesn't matter how many sermons I preach. No man pressed his way into the kingdom through preaching about the Lord, but through pursuing the Lord himself. Our sermons aren't that good anyways, if we're honest. Even Delta gets this. I'm sure I'm not the first to use this illustration. You're all pastors. I know you've used this before, but here's a dose of your own medicine. It's just too obvious to not use. Um, In every flight at the beginning, again, now we just completely ignore them and put our headphones on, but... What they're trying to say is relatively important. And they're like, hey, if the plane's going to crash, you you guys know how to survive. But every uh, flight, they get up there and they warn us that in case something crazy happens, and these little air masks drop down in front of you, there's actually a way you're supposed to use them. And what they say is, before you help the person next to you with their breathing mask, secure your own situation. And the logic is, if you want to help other people breathe, you have to be breathing. Let me help you breathe. (laughs) Paul's doing the same thing here. Pastor, you try to help people walk with Jesus. Try to help people love Jesus. Try to help people trust Jesus. Tend to your situation first. Then tend to the flock. How are we going to strive for other people's joy in Jesus while neglecting our own? Make sure you're thriving on all that good gospel air before you call the church to breathe it in. Uh, remember, dear brethren, remember with trembling, we who teach will be more greatly scrutinized by God's all knowing and holy eyes. If we're going to volunteer to be examples to the flock, we better be really careful. Our example is worthy of the Lord. Our spiritual health and fitness affects not only our own enjoyment of the Lord and our own fruitfulness as his servant, it also affects the the fruitfulness and the enjoyment of the Lord of those we're seeking to serve. Spurgeon says this, for the herald of the gospel to be spiritually out of order in his own proper person is, both to himself and to his work, a most serious calamity. And yet, my brethren, how easily is such an evil produced And with what watchfulness must it be guarded against? Our brother Kevin's gonna elaborate on the minister's holiness even further in the next message, but this is just because it's here and it's part of how we care for the flock. As Ed said, the Lord Jesus had a wonderful teaching ministry, but we learn as much by his example. And he's called shepherds to function the same way. They're not just supposed to learn from Jesus about what we say. They're supposed to be able to learn from Jesus by watching how we live. It's the other wing of our pastor plane. It's that important. No living it. You, What you're saying is actually confusing. It's disrupting. If you're saying something and you're doing something else, you're actually confusing the people of God. I'm actually confusing the people who go and say, hey, Jesus like this, but don't worry about me doing this. There's a unique temptation to self deception for a minister who's not always watchful. Since our very work is to hold up the standard of Scripture, we may be tempted to think that simply because we can explain God's standard well, that we are living God's standard well. This is one of the dangers about letting men teach before they can live. Because what happens is the church starts thinking they're supposed to follow them. It's actually not good to separate the guy who's teaching and the guy who's living. I would actually encourage a greater carefulness about who you even let into your pulpit. I know men need to be trained. They, they absolutely need to. But they be, they, it's required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. He told Timothy, teach faithful men who can teach others also. As Judas and Demas and Alexander and Hymenaeus teach us, it's totally possible for a minister of God's word to be told, minister of God's word, to be utterly self-deceived. And God doesn't want us to be self-deceived, but to be alert, to be watchful, to be aware of ourselves, attentive to our own souls and hearts. When Jesus told Peter to pray, he was looking out for Peter. Watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. Peter was talking crazy that night. Even if everybody else abandons you, Lord, not me, I'll die for you. Next scene, snoring. Next scene, denying. Again, this watchfulness takes work. Uh, recall the pressure that Paul put on young Timothy to watch himself closely. And we'll also r- recall that he doesn't just simply tell Timothy to watch himself in a moment. No, First Timothy 4 says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. So this isn't a, you know, <laughs> who did them little pots? It's like you said it and forget it. That's not how ministry works. You got to watch that mug. Make sure you're not burning the cookies. Don't burn the cookies, brothers. Keep a close watch. Because they burn quickly. But he doesn't say just keep a close watch on your life. You watch your life, you watch the teaching, you're supposed to keep a close watch on it. He says, and persist in this. Like, this is how we live. Just keeping a close watch on our life And on the teaching, ongoingly, this is how we save ourselves and our hearers. We must not only keep a close watch on ourselves and on the teaching, but persisting in it, continuing in this carefulness. How can we encourage the church to love the truth if we ourselves are lacking a love for it? We all have ruts. We all have dry seasons. But beware of them. You're supposed to keep a close watch on that thing. Brothers, ask me about it daily. I'm I'm having a dry season, and I'm scared. You don't be more godly when you're dry in the Lord. I'm scared. Watch me. Help me watch. Watch. How can we encourage the church to be devoted to sound doctrine if we're not careful in our study? Again, do our best to present ourselves to ones approved, workers who have no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. How can we charge the church to live according to that glorious secret of contentment if we haven't learned the secret ourselves, that Christ gives us strength in all things? Again, it's not sufficient to point others to where the living water is if we ourselves don't drink the, 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 the fountain deeply. Right? Don't go to restaurants with skinny chefs. It's a parable. That's in Second Opinions, Chapter 6. Talking about you can cook. I don't see it. Pride is always working to puff our chests up with pride. We must be ever working to deflate ourselves, to bow ourselves down in humility. The Lord's words to Cain have been abidingly appropriate since the fall. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And we cannot rule sin we're not being watchful against. <sighs> JC Ryle says, I fear we do not sufficiently realize the extreme subtlety of our soul's disease. We're too apt to forget that temptation to sin will rarely present itself to us in its true color, saying, I am your deadly enemy and I want to ruin you forever in hell. Oh no, sin comes to us like Judas with a kiss and like Joab with an outstretched hand and flattering words. The forbidden fruit seemed good and desirable to Eve, yet it cast her out of Eden. The walking idly on his palace roof seemed harmless enough to David, yet it ended in adultery and murder. Sin rarely seems sin at first beginnings. Let us then watch and pray, lest we fall into temptation. And the stakes literally could not be higher. As Paul wrote to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching because by doing so, you'll save yourself and your hearers. Probably the scariest thing connected to pastoral ministry. It deals with salvation. This watchfulness must be taken up with full sobriety, shaking hands, trembling knees, understanding that the ministry handles things pertaining to salvation. How we discharge our office, both in the manner of our lives and in the message we preach, either forwards God's saving purposes or opposes God's saving purposes. It's better to get out of the ministry than to lead people astray. We can preach all the right things and still mislead people. You can say the right doctrine and still mislead the entire church. Case in point, Peter. Galatians chapter 2 verse 11. Paul said, I had to check him to his face. He stood, I opposed him because he stood condemned Leading the saints astray, even leading Barnabas astray. But when we have him on record in Acts 11, Peter's saying the right things. There was so much on the line, perhaps that why Paul reminds these elders in Acts 20, 28, that they have been called to this by the Holy Spirit. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. While as men we have aspired to the office of the overseer, all those called have been appointed by God the Spirit himself. And he who dispenses gifts as he pleases has been pleased to appoint you to this service. He does not set us up to fail. He is our helper and he is eager to help we ought to be encouraged that he who has called us is also he who will help us. First task of the overseer, pay careful attention to yourselves. This is directly followed by a call to pay careful attention to all the flock. The second point, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We are not called to just be carefully attentive to ourselves, but to extend that careful attention to All the flock. It's, as I was thinking about this this morning, it was bringing, I was getting very Ephesians 5 vibes. That how a man nourishes and cherishes his wife is actually a way that he loves himself. And There's a relationship there. We we make no mistake, Jesus is the husband. He is the bridegroom. But there is a degree to which How we love others is to be a reflection of how we love ourselves. How we care for others is to be a reflection of how we care for ourselves. Pay attention to ourselves, to all the flock, the flock in all its parts, the flock in all its members, the flock in all its ages and all its nationalities, the flock in all its personalities and in all its differences. In all its faithfulness and in all its failures, pay careful attention to them all. Uh, Richard Baxter, who wrote a phenomenal book, The Reformed Pastor, in 1656. Honestly, I haven't read much good about pastoral ministry that wasn't written before the 1800s. That's just me. So serious. Because everyone now seems to try to lighten the load of pastoral ministry, and everywhere and then just kind of seem to get it was huge. His counsel, I think, is relevant for us today. I think it's even strange to hear today. Of this attentiveness to all the flock, he writes. To this end, it is necessary that we should know every person that belongeth to our charge. For how can we take heed to them if we do not know them? We must labor to be acquainted not only with the persons, but with the state of all our people, with their inclinations and conversations, what are the sins of which they are most in danger, and what duties they are most apt to neglect, and what temptations they are most liable to. For if we know not their temperament or disease, we are not likely to prove successful physicians." And this is why we labor to a flock as best as we can. When Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep, he starts by saying, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and finding one to be lost, don't go after it? The whole parable is based on a very basic shepherding principle. This is not complex. This is not, um, I couldn't even think of a made-believe class because I didn't go to any of the elite classes in school. But this is an AP, there it is. This is an AP Calculus. Some of y'all took that. This isn't AP shepherding. This is basic shepherding. You got a 100 sheep. You know when one's gone, right? Right? That's his whole point. Jesus built the whole situation, of the prodigal son, you know, the whole point he was making. He's just stuffing all this basic stuff. You lose some money, you look for it. You lose a sheep, you look for it. You lose a son, you run to him. That's not special shepherding, that's basic shepherding. That's not special financial advice, that's basic financial advice. That's not special parenting, that's just parenting. To care about each one of them. If you don't care about one of the sheep, you're in the wrong business. Those are called butchers. Pay careful attention to all the flock. Now, the question must be answered, I think, what does it mean to care for all the flock? What does that look like? What is the care a pastor is aiming to give to a particular flock, and what is the care a flock is intended to expect from a pastor? Boil it down to three things. I think this is what it means to care for the church. This is what it means to keep watch and to tend them. The first thing, as I said in the first point, and I will leave much to be said for Kevin here, but is their Christian example? One of the main ways we minister to a flock is by our Christian example. They need your words maybe less than you think, and they need your life much more than you think. Paul says this in the Thessalonian church we were eager not just to share the gospel with you, but our very selves. He wrote to Timothy, You're familiar with my Conduct, my aim in life, pattern of my man—you know me. Uh, Paul said, "I didn't just come to you as a teacher. You've had many teachers. I became a father to you in the gospel. Imitate me. Imitate me." Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. You gotta live a life that's imitatable. It has to be available for the saints to see and imitate. So if they just look at Jesus and they're like, man, what are you. (laughs) Okay, I know Jesus said, you, there's supposed to be some connections here. Oh, Jesus washed the feet. You too show up to serve. Oh, Jesus was always teaching at the table and as they went. You always are teaching. Oh, Jesus laid his life down. You always tell us about that. The Christian example, too, is their instruction. Paul will say in this chapter, that instruction happened both publicly and house to house. So I think this instruction has a public dynamic and a personal one. But we we, we care for the flock through how we instruct them, how we feed them. And what do we feed them? In John 21, 15 through 17, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, Pastor Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Jesus says, then feed them. Do you love me? Yes. Then feed them. He says, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Just as an aside, I think we see the, the three ass in response to the three de- denials. Uh, I, I think having the layers, what does it mean to deny Jesus? Peter already did. What does it mean to show you don't deny Jesus? I think Jesus gives him a shape to hear to feed, feed, feed them, feed, love my people, love my people, love my people. How does he love them? What does he feed them? He doesn't actually tell them what to feed them. <laughs> you can't go to the store. This is not from Petco or whatever, you know, I don't have pets. Um, what do we feed the sheep? What does it mean to feed the sheep? Feed them what? Thankfully, Jesus kept speaking through the apostles. By his spirit. And Jesus told us what to feed them. He says, feed them my word. Feed them my word. Here the Lord Jesus connects tending or caring with feeding. Do you love me? Feed them, care for them, tend to them. And the question is, feed them what? Well, the answer is, feed them the word. Paul told Timothy, give attention. That's the same word that's used in Acts twenty. Pay careful attention. Give attention to what? To the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and teaching. He wrote them again in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, the judge of the living and the dead. Preach the word. Feed them. Feed them. Feed them. Because you love me. This is the work they're to be given to, and they are to protect The word actually enlivens and energizes all the activity of the people of God. The word produces all the fruit. The word is what they need to hear most. The word is what fuels all the faithfulness for all the saints. Husbands are are called to love their wives. And one of the ways we're called to love them is by what? Washing them in the water of the word. We get that from who? Jesus. How does Jesus Wash his bride in the water of his word. Well, one way is his, his bride oftentimes has Bibles, and they get to wash themselves. But he also calls men to be devoted to. He gives people for the sole purpose of washing his bride. We are washers. That's what we do. We wash the sheep in the word of God. We wash the sheep in the word of God. Pastors are a means, and it's a main means through which Jesus washes his bride with the word. And the third thing, amen, third thing they do is with their prayers. How do they care? They give them an example that's worthy of imitating. They give them as much word as they can manage. And I'm not one for a skimpy preaching schedule. I think this is why we got some of the leanest Christians in history. Because they they hear a sermon a week. Maybe if you're at one of those old school places, they might burden you with Bible study. (laughs) Paul was getting after it. In this chapter, three years You know how often he was getting out day and night. Day and night. And you would have been there. You were saved, and the apostle Paul was preaching and he was doing a three-year-long crusade. You'd be there every night. You'd bring your friends, you bring your family. You'd be eudicus, you'd, you'd be falling asleep in a respectful way, right? <laughs> Eutychus wasn't being respectful. It says Paul was preaching long. So, uh, and the reason you would is because it was the word of God. The word of God's going forth. I get so jealous at some of these pastors. John Owen, I believe, right, of the uh, duties of Christian fellowship. He says the saints should be obligated to gather whenever the pastors say. Why would you not? I can hear a sermon like what I just heard this morning, like tomorrow. Why would I not? It deals with salvation. It's part of how he readies us for glory. It's how his fruit gets produced. Yeah, we're dry. We only get watered once a week. Preach the word. Preach the word. And do it like Paul did. Third thing, sorry, is their prayers. (laughs) The apostles were like, no, we're not waiting tables. Not because tables aren't important. We're washers, though. We're not table waiters. We're washers. We wash with the word. It's not right for the washers to put the scrub brushes down, the soap and water down. And go fix the tables. That's important. There's people assigned to that. God made me a washer. I should always have a rag in my hand, dirt under my nails, soap ready to scrub. It's what we do. They said it's not right for us to neglect this. We will be devoted to this. The ministry of the word and prayer. Prayer. The word works. Yes, yes. And part of how God has determined in his word by how his word works is how we ask him to bless it. Matthew Henry, my uncle, says this. Nor must we only minister, all things are mine. Nor must we only minister, nor must we only minister the word to them. But we must pray for them that it may be effectual. For God's grace can do all without our preaching, But our preaching can do nothing without God's grace. The apostles were endued with extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit, tongues and miracles. And yet that to which they gave themselves to continually was preaching and praying. That's kind of wild when you think about it. People that, if I could do miracles, I'd be doing a bunch of miracles. Not if you knew what the word was. Not if you knew what prayer does. Because the men who could do the stuff you can't do, devoted them to the stuff you can. Continually was preaching and praying, by which they might edify the church. And those ministers, without doubt, are the successors of the apostle. Not in the plentitude of the apostolic power, but in the best and most excellent of the apostolic works who give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And such Christ will always be with even to the ends of the world. (sighs) Consider how impotent we are to accomplish any of the aims in the ministry. We are powerless to encourage the soul at all. We are powerless to stir up the body to love and good works. We are powerless to raise the affection level in the hearts of the congregation. We are powerless to raise the dead. We're powerless to bring light into darkness, to cause eyes to behold the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're powerless to convict. We're powerless to strengthen. We're powerless to purify and to press on. We're powerless to save a soul. We're powerless to shape the soul. We're powerless to seize a soul's attention. We can't even keep people awake with our sermons. This is indeed our duty but it's far beyond the realm of our dominion. Who is sufficient for these things? God. The whole of our work is entirely beyond our capacity to perform, and all the effectiveness possible within the ministry is entirely outside of our ability to muster up. For all of the work, it must be all of the Lord, and he must be sought after and relied on upon for it. To secure his glory in our efforts and to expose our emptiness within ourselves, the Lord must be sought for every ounce of effectiveness or else no true spiritual effect will be experienced. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. The ministry is under the same law of dependence on Christ as all of the Christian life. That like everything that God has made, and that he has made good, it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. It's no surprise that they weren't just devoted to studying the word, but seeking the Lord. And this is why we need a task force. This is why we need other elders, because all of this, because of all of this. Pay careful attention to all the flock. I'm wrapping up. He says, care for the church of God, the church that he bought with his own blood. The flock is to be nourished and fed, guarded, and their souls watched over, helped and admonished, encouraged and patiently walked with just As we are to care for ourselves, we're to care about all the flock, and we hear in that God's heart for a thorough watchfulness and attentiveness for all his sheep. So family, I think what we should be striving for, we should be aiming for, is to know all the flock in such a way that when the Lord asks us to give an account for them, we have an answer for them. What about Joe? I think it's bad if we're like, who. This may not be where we are at now, but brothers, I think it's what we must strive for. To have a specific response, specific inventory, to have a physician's chart for every sheep. One of the ways I would encourage you to do this is the the regular habit of pastoral visits. You scheduling time to meet with your sheep and seek to do them spiritual good. Uh, Much I could say on that, but for sake of time, I won't. Every soul under our charge is worthy of our careful attention, not because of how nice they are to us. For it's God himself who's called us to this, that each sheep be attended to. That's why we're there. That's why there's pastors to extend, be extensions of the care of God. And the reason why God cares for them or the reason God calls us to care for them is anchored in the gospel. The reason we care for the sheep is not them, but it's him. Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. When I want to scare my sons into treating my daughter better, I tell them, I don't say, hey, why why, why did you talk to your sister that way? That puts it on them. I up the ante. I say, why did you talk to my daughter that way? And they're like, oh, snap. (laughs) I wasn't thinking about it that way. But now that you say it, okay, this is what he does here. Those are not your sheep. That is not your church. Don't care how long you've been there. He said, I bought them. You care for the sheep I bought. Nothing should fill us with more awe, more care for our flocks than the fact that our, ch- our churches belong to God. And how they were acquired was through the precious blood of Christ. There is no greater value that can be added to any flock than the awareness of what was paid to acquire them. You could have the most ugly carpet in the world. Your music team could be whack. You're preaching Your preaching could be super-duper shabby. Logo could be from the 80s. Website, horrible, or not even there. You may not know what a podcast is. You might be the most awkward person in the room. What makes the church special is that Jesus Christ died for them. There are blood-bought souls That the king of heaven left his throne to buy those saints in that role. That before you knew their name and before they sent in their little membership inventory questionnaire or returned their little visitor card for the little gift you have for them in the back, Jesus dove from heaven, became man, suffered the sting of their sin, rose from the dead for their salvation, and ever lives above watching them with his loving intent, unsleeping eyes, gazing at them, loving them, fawning over them, delighting in them, slowly transforming them to his glory. And he lets you play a big but very small role in that process. It's his. They're his. And that's what we're here for, to remind the saints, he loves you. He knows you. He's with you. He'll help you. He died for you. That's what this. That's why we preach that every week. It's the most important thing they need to hear. My boss is, is brutal. Yeah, not that one. Oh, my dad, my dad never told me he loves me. Your father in heaven did. I don't get invited anywhere. You get invited to heaven. No one cares about me. Don't you ever say that again. Christ Jesus is the one who died for you so that you never say that again. Saved you from sin so that you'll never say that again. Gave you a spirit so that you'll never say that again. Gives you all the promises of his word so that you'll never say that again. Has me here to tell you every week and multiple times a week. See you at Bible study later, right? <laughs> so that you'll never say that again. So that you'll know that there's, he loves you with an un, inseparable love. An undying love, a saving love, a securing love, and a sanctifying love. And our job is to scrub the people down with that non-stop, all of them, soaked up in the scriptures, cleansed and washed in the salvation of God. I've went beyond my time, dear saints. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. We thank you. We thank you that you have lavished your wisdom on us. We have not wound up in a church accidentally. We were called by name, not just us as pastors, but us as Christians, all of your people. Help us to rejoice in this now. Help us to lead our churches to rejoice in this, that our names are written in your book. Oh, we love you, Lord. Would you grow our love towards you? More love, more love to thee. Let it begin with the shepherds, Lord, and may it spread to the sheep. We ask this in Jesus' name. Take care.